Hello, hello, and welcome. You're listening to the Spiritual Exercises podcast. This is Rachel. Thanks for being here. You guys, I'm really excited to share some great stuff that's going to be happening in the next week. I am finally doing some more podcasts during the week, and I'm going paid. And so not for everything. So if you are a free subscriber and you've been receiving this weekly, you will continue to get this every single week. But I am adding a couple of podcasts each week that um, you can pay for in order to receive that content. And what I'm super excited about is I I don't know if a lot of people really know this, but I actually, my major in college was broadcast journalism. I almost double majored. I was one class away from double majoring also in political science. And so I'm a broadcast journalism and political science. Um, that's my education. And so I'm fascinated by what's going on in politics and in the world. Um, I'm also a full-time musician. This has been what I've been doing for the past 15 years, I would say, or so. And I thought, you know, God has granted me so many unique experiences, and so much of my content is centered, centered also around art and politics. And I talk about these two things in my book. I talk about technology and entertainment, and I talk about the Christian interaction with the political realm because I think it is so important. I have noticed in the last few years especially, there is a giant naivety in the American church. Christians, you know, the Bible says to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. We oftentimes really push that gentle as a dove, be nice, be nice, be nice, be nice, you know, to the point of nauseam, you know, and there were so many people, I've talked about this, so many spiritual Christian leaders in this country who were telling people that to love others, you had to do these tyrannical things that the government was telling you to do, that that was Christ's definition of love. And to that, I said, absolutely not. No, it is not. And what a horrible message, because someday there will be a remnant who will have to say no to the mark of the beast. And I promise you, it's not going to be a simple concept. The mark of the beast is not going to be super obvious. Obvious. Um, there are going to be amazing reasons to go ahead and take that mark, right? And to go ahead and worship the beast. It's going to be good for society. It's going to be for safety. It's going to be so that, you know, everybody can be unified and one. And, you know, the beast is going to be the great savior. He's going to have saved us from probably some horrible disaster or some alien invasion. You know, you know, it's going to be marketed well. And if the believer does not understand the things of God, they are going to fall hard. And so we should not be pushing tyrannical dictates as the rules by which we understand God's love and our love for others. Those rules were already given in Scripture. We can know them clearly. And I'm afraid that many believers were naive. They, they took this information in from these spiritual leaders in America, and they just, they just took it. And they, they agreed. They said, oh, okay, our spiritual leaders are telling us that to love others, we have to do these things the government is telling us to do. Yes, we should be obedient to um, 
all the laws that are on the books as much as we can in the United States. I believe in the institutions that God has set up here. I believe in justice and I also believe that it's very hard to get people to um, believe in the God that you're serving if you're a total rebel all the time in culture, so much so that you're causing harm. But there are times to stand up. And I believe the last few years, there were moments where we should have stood up, where we should have understand clean versus unclean, things that should be in your body, things that shouldn't, that your body is a temple of God. And you should treat it with that sort of dignity. Do not bring strange fire into God's presence. Do not bring strange or abominable things into your temple because God has set your DNA and you should be very careful about changing it. And yet people don't know the things of God and so they didn't question And we have naivety happening. And my concern is that we are now in a culture with political decisions being made that will end up in mass death in the future. Because these sorts of political decisions have always ended in mass death in the past. And you know what? God is a God of life. He loves life. He does not want death. I believe the United States of America has historically been an incredible bastion for freedom and for life. And it is not I don't believe it's our call to stay silent on issues that have to do with God's love of life. I also don't believe in making other people do my dirty work for me. If I believe that people should be free, then I should be willing to fight the same fight alongside other freedom fighters. And that fight doesn't look violent, guys. It's never violence. I I gotta tell you, this is also so important. I believe many people have been deceived into thinking that the first line of defense is violence, but we see in scripture that actually there's wisdom in what Jacob did when he encountered Esau, right? That he he was going, he knew he was gonna cross paths with Esau and instead of going out warlike, he went out and he brought gifts to Esau and he tried to soften the blow of seeing, you know, those two brothers seeing each other again. And there's wisdom in that seeking peace, seeking peace, seeking peace, seeking peace. So when I say fight the good fight, I mean peaceful, you know, taking a stand, doing what you know is right for your family. Fix your house first. Know God's things. Seek his face. Seek his wisdom. And and be careful. Be careful about what culture is telling you. So I really want to talk about how do we view politics through a biblical framework? What God, what might God have to say about what's going on politically? And then I'm going to be providing in the paid subscription portion of this pod, uh, podcast coming up, uh, music every week. So I have been recording songs that are going to go along with the book that I just released. Um, the book is called Jesus Was Not a Modern Day Christian. I'm working on an audiobook version of that. And I am going to have songs that are going to go with each chapter. And so I have some of the songs completed. I'm also going to be doing cover songs and all sorts of fun versions of things. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a great use of all the skills that I've been using over the last 15 years and hopefully be really fascinating and unique journey for you guys. So if you're interested in some of the paid content, um, and you know, I'll also have extra issues and topics that we'll be exploring, science, etc., then you can pay $5 a month to get all of that paid content. You guys, all that extra stuff is the price of 
a cup of coffee at Starbucks for the whole month. Now, I know people pay 10 bucks a month more for things like Netflix and for other subscriptions, and you guys are getting lots of entertainment that way. And so hopefully this is unbelievably affordable. It is also gonna be a huge support for what I'm hoping and dreaming of doing and praying about with the ministry that God might be putting together right now in my life. And I am looking for ways to support that ministry and that work so I can go out, so I can give more away when I encounter people who are in need, so I can give my book away more often, so that I can give my music away more often. (laughs) I would love to be able to do that. And so I'm going to try to provide rich content for you all at a really, really low price each month. And you guys, for five bucks a month, you can just support what I'm trying to do. um, And I will be so grateful for it. Um, And so... Any feedback you want to send my way about all of that, any questions you might have, I'd love to do at least once a month a question and answer podcast where I take your questions, I answer your questions, we look up some biblical stuff together. Um, One more way that you guys can really help me with this is if you like any of these podcasts or you like any of the content, share it because that is how we get more subscribers, that's how we get people joined to the community, and that's how we'll get actually start getting some discussion around some of these topics and issues that I, I got to tell you, I've talked about some controversial stuff here. So I can imagine that some of you have actually had some questions or taken issue with some of what I've said. And let's have that discussion. I would love to. So today's podcast, I believe this is the third or fourth in my series on seven. Seven is such an important number in scripture. And just as a reminder to you all, we have in um, the stories that Moses wrote down, we have that God commanded that Moses create a seven candle menorah that was supposed to go in the temple. And this menorah structure, this seven, represents, I think, many things. One is the chiastic nature of scripture. Again, as a reminder for you all, if this is your first time listening, chiastic structure simply means that you start, you know, if you're thinking about on the left side, you start with the first point. Let's say the first point is in the beginning, God was the light, okay? And I've heard this, um, this is not my Example. I'm trying to remember, recall who I got it from. I'll, I'll I'll figure out who I got this from. But the first point at the beginning is God is the only light. He is the source. And then the next point, you get through creation and you get through the Bible stories, and you know, in the middle, you have Jesus. You get to the fourth candle on that menorah. You get to the number four, which is the middle of the number seven is four. And there you have Christ. He is the light of the world, right? He is our light. He is the one who lights the other candles. He provides that um, foundation for us to have salvation and to be unified to him in his kingdom. He is the light. And then in the very end, at the very end, in um, we are told in scripture that there will be no more sun and no more moon, that God will be the light, okay? So we start with God as the light. We see Jesus as the light of the world in the center and the seventh candle, the seventh time, God is the light again. And so that's chiastic. That means the first and the last thing go together. 
You have a middle, which is the point of all of it. And so you can have the first and the seventh thing go together. You can have the second and the sixth idea go together. So the chiasm builds up to the middle and then builds back down with each of these um, locations, three and five, two and six, one and seven, being a mirror image of each other. So if you folded if you folded it in half, right in the middle of the four, you'd have the first side, just, just like a triangle. If you folded an isosceles triangle right down the middle, you'd have the corners touching and you'd have all the lines going up, all the steps going up to the top. They would connect. And so that's chiastic structure. And we see in scripture seven used over and over and over again. And there's a chiastic nature to the way that it works. Um, and so we're going to find out that when you get to seven here, I, it's going to relate to things in the one, number one, but it's also going to teach us its own principles. Another reminder for you all, seven, uh, the numbers in Hebrew all have their own meanings. They're, they tell their own stories. They have their own levels of meaning. And so seven in scripture, where do we see the first seven? Well, we see it right at the beginning. We see it in the creation story. God created for six days and rested on the seventh. That is the day that he set apart, the day he sat on his throne. He looked at creation and he said, this is good and this is mine. The Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's footstool, okay? We are a part of his throne room, basically. God said, the earth is mine and it is good. And that seventh day, this is why it is so important. And I teach and I teach and I teach on this. You guys, the Sabbath day was never changed. You cannot find a place in scripture where it was changed. And most honest pastors today, when you ask them, what day is the Sabbath day? They will tell you it's the seventh day. How do we know it didn't change? Well, let's go to Hebrews. In Hebrews, in the New Testament, here we go. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He uses the term Sabbath. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. It's a day of rest, guys, just as God did from his. The Sabbath day is a reflection of God creating the wholeness of his creation. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the, their example of disobedience. Hey, folks in Hebrews, he's, what he's saying we're going to make every every effort to honor the Sabbath, not just the seven-day Sabbath of the week. Let's keep going here. Here's uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Okay, so, and he's, he's now talking about the high priest and what the high priest did. But I really honestly believe that one, one way to understand this idea of coming into Sabbath rest is not just that we honor the seventh day as the Sabbath. By the way, you guys, the Sabbath is defined in Exodus and we are told that it is the seventh day of the week. It is God's holy set apart day. And that those who keep it, it is a sign between God and his people. And so when we are not keeping the Sabbath day, according to Exodus, we're missing out on that sign. We're missing out on unity with God's people. 
Um, We're also missing out on the understanding that God did not make the sixth day the Sabbath. He did not make the fifth day the Sabbath. He did not make the fourth day or the third or the second or the first. At the very beginning, God is telling you his structure for all time. It's seven days. This is why seven appears in Genesis all the way through Revelation. It is constantly going back to what God did in creation, the perfection of what he did in seven days and how the seventh day belonged to him and his rest. But we also get to look forward to a day of rest in the future that is actually a thousand years. And it's when Christ will reign. And so if we go to, let me see if I've got this right, Revelation Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who had been given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. These had not worshipped the beast or his image and had refused to receive his mark on their forehead or hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. There's a seventh millennia where Christ will reign for a thousand years, That and it will be a time of rest. Rest for the earth, right? Rest for the people that are under God's rule and his reign. So we have the meaning of the number seven is creation, but there's also wedding terminology related to the number seven. And why is that? Okay. So again, creation on this day, this was the day of rest for the Lord. And there is a wedding. There's a celebration. There's a unification of God and his people. In the Ten Commandments, the seventh command is thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, if we're talking about weddings here, we're talking about God being um, united to his church, then the last thing you want to do is go and defile that marriage. And this, it makes a lot of sense when you think about the story of Israel and how God gave a divorce decree to Israel because they had worshiped other gods. They had defiled that wedding covenant to the point where God had to say, I have to divorce you. I I can't do this with you anymore, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to find a way to reunify with you through my own law. And it's why Paul in the New Testament, he has this moment where he talks about the law of marriage from the Old Testament, which basically says that if two people are married, And it says, if the wife goes and she, um, the, actually it starts with the husband divorces the wife if he is displeased with her and gives her certificate of divorce. And if she goes and marries another man, she can't go back and remarry her first husband. It's considered an abomination. You're not supposed to do that. Okay. Unless it says, unless there's a death. And so Paul talks about this in the New Testament, basically telling us that Jesus gave Israel a divorce decree and she went out and worshiped other gods. She unified herself to other gods. And so Jesus couldn't just remarry his bride. There had to be a death. And of course there was. Christ died and rose again, becoming the second 
Adam, who could reunite with the bride who would also die to her old self in this process of reunification and become, what do we call it? Reborn, become new so that we can unify to Christ wholly and fully without the defilement of that first divorce decree and divorce. It's amazing, right, how scripture works everything out according to God's laws, which still stand. It's incredible, right? So, of course, the seventh command would be, thou shalt not commit adultery. Marriage is a picture of our unity with the Lord, and things that defile that picture bring death, and God is a God of life. So, thou shalt not do what Israel did, right? Thou shalt not leave your bridegroom. All right, or your bride. It is so important that we we really understand the purpose of marriage and we're careful with it. We've been talking about the seven spirits of the Lord, which are found in Isaiah, and this seventh spirit that is listed there is the spirit of understanding. So we have things listed together in Isaiah. Wisdom and understanding go together. Counsel and might, which is the second and the sixth, go together. Knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the third and the fifth, go together. And then the center, the fourth candle in our menorah is Jesus, who is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, the unified Spirit of the Lord is the center candle that lights all the others. But of course, the seventh day is understanding. And I think this makes a lot of sense. Think about it. When we enter into the final Sabbath rest with the Lord, we are going to have so much more knowledge. We're going to have seen God's things played out. We're going to have seen Revelation and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these things played out. We're going to really understand so much more about our story. But what's also kind of fascinating about the seventh spirit, the seventh day being related to understanding is that On the seventh day, God promises to meet with us. It's a day we're supposed to have like a holy convocation. We're supposed to unite with all the believers around the world who are taking that Sabbath day of rest. It's a day for learning about God's things. And I have found that on the Sabbath day, I gain way more understanding constantly about scripture. God is so faithful to meet with me on that day and give me new and incredible deep insight into his word. Um, And then finally... We have the of this. There are seven feast days listed in Leviticus, and the final of the feast days is the Feast of Booths. This is um, the last of the fall feast days. There are four spring feast days and three fall feast days. The Feast of Booths is also called the Feast of Tabernacles. The concept is this is when Christ comes to tabernacle with us. And so the Feast of Booths is this incredible celebration where Jesus is going to come and reign on the earth for a thousand years. He's going to tabernacle with us. And there's actually a prophecy that says all people will go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths when Jesus is reigning on the earth. And if they don't, their land does not receive any rain. So this is serious business. We should understand this holiday because God is going to institute this for the whole earth when he reigns on the earth. This, these, these feast days are going, they tell you, right? They're going to tell you how God is doing things now and how he will be doing things when he is reigning as king over the earth. And so the Feast of Booths 
is that seven-day wedding, right? It's it's a wedding. It's the reunification. It's Jesus gets to be right with his bride, and we get to, the bride gets to reign with him for that thousand years. And there are going to be other people on the earth that are not the bride, but they're still going to come to Jerusalem to be with Jesus for the, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's fascinating, right? So you can see, and there's so many other things that are sevens, you guys. You know, there's seven um, colors in a rainbow, and a rainbow is a sign between God and man, right? It's one of his covenants with mankind. You have seven churches in Revelation, which have really, they're interesting messages that are given to each of those churches. Um, So there's a lot, there's a lot more in scripture, that has the number seven, but I think it's so important to see how everything that is involved with that number seven is also in alignment. So guys, if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, you can go back and listen to how all the ones are aligned, all the twos, all the threes, and then you have this amazing seventh day. Now, I think, you know, there are 10 of the Ten Commandments, right? And so we we got through the seventh. The last three, if you go and study, you know, thou shalt not covet, um, these other commands, thou shalt not steal, uh, I talk about them in my book. They actually kind of apply to all the other commands. And there are ways you can layer them back in. You can start on the fourth command, actually, and find all sorts of ways to get to number 10 and have them relate. I, I don't think, I, I wasn't ready to make it that complex yet. But think about just thou shalt not steal. Steal to the ancient mind actually meant, and it's the same word used for kidnap in Exodus 21, it actually meant not to take people, okay? You're not supposed to enslave anyone. This is how, you know, we should have known as a country that slavery was evil because God said, thou shall not steal, and steal really meant take a person to the ancient mind. But stealing can also be stealing reputation. It could be stealing somebody else's spouse with adultery. It can be stealing from God, which means you do not honor his Sabbath day or you have an idol or you have not put him first. Stealing applies to every single one of the other commands. And and covetousness is the basis and the foundation of the breaking of pretty much all the other commands. And so we can find a lot of ways to apply those last three of the Ten Commandments across all which I also think is really interesting. Um, And I talk about that a lot more deeply in my book, The Ten Commandments, because they really are such an incredible foundation for the rest of the law, and they run the gamut um, of sin. They really do. And so if you really understand the depth of the Ten Commandments, you start to understand a lot of the other laws that are given in the Old Testament. All right, that is just plenty for today. Y'all, thank you so much for listening so far. I so appreciate you. Again, a big help to me in what I'm working on ministry-wise. If you want to share this podcast with others, encourage others to subscribe, and you know, prayerfully consider maybe supporting me by going into the paid subscription and receiving extra content, some art and music before anybody else gets it, and um, we'll have 
really fascinating discussions. One of the things that I was thinking of doing with the political podcast is actually just doing a rundown of stories. I follow all sorts of different sources that have proven themselves worthy over the last five years. And I only follow sources that prove themselves worthy. So the second a source has been wrong multiple times or seems to be bought and paid for, I'm kind of out. You know, that I don't play that game. I want people who are objective. And so I spend a lot of time on this just because of my interest in my background. I'll be sharing those sources. I'll be sharing those stories. And then we'll probably pick one or two things to discuss. This week, I'm going to be discussing the disgusting new cartoon series that Disney has just put out that is unbelievably demonic. And I'm going to hopefully try and convince you guys not only to share this with others, but to encourage others to cut and run from Disney. Don't give them one more dime, not because it will put them out of business. That's not why. But because God cares about where where you spend your money. Believe me, if you're going to go spend your money at Disney, maybe you should be going and spending your money somewhere that is run by believers who want to influence the culture for good and not influence the culture to run to Satan. Um, You will not even be able to believe how disgusting Disney has become. And so that will be this week's paid subscriber. That'll be one of the topics we'll go over in this week's paid subscriber political podcast. And then I'm going to have a song for you all, which I'm super excited to share. All right. I will be be back next week. Love y'all.